you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, Old Testament book. If you're looking in the Old Testament, you get 1 Samuel, you get 1 Kings. We want to start in that first chapter. Last week, we uh, introduced a sermon series on uh, a man by the name of Solomon. Now, if you look at the history of Israel and its united monarchy, it had a three kings total uh, before they had the division. The first one was Saul, the second was David, and the third was going to be Solomon. And in many ways, Solomon was the greatest king that they ever had. And so we've uh, kind of ventured into learning about Solomon, learning about his life, and then what does that, how does that impact our lives and as we travel through our own journey. And uh, last week, we were talking about the beginning, how, how was Solomon born? And um, it, was, it was unique because it was the story of David and Bathsheba. Many of you may know that if you're with us last week, of, of how David saw her, he had a one-night stand with her, she got pregnant, and uh, he ended up having her husband murdered on the, uh, uh, on the battlefield uh, because he wouldn't uh, kind of a, a go along with his plan to try to hide this pregnancy. And so then David brings her in, he marries her, the child is born, but then the child dies. And so it comes in 2 Samuel, like the next verse talks about that he comforted his wife, lay with her, and they gave birth to a son by the name of Solomon. However, we also told you last week that Solomon was actually their fourth child, that they had three other children. He was the youngest and the fourth. And so there was some confusion uh, about that. And so let me just show you why we know he was the fourth child. And that is 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 3. It talks about the descendants of David. And it says, these were born to David in Jerusalem. It's got Shemaiah, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon four by Bathsheba, the daughter of Amiel. So they had four children, and Solomon was the last. Well, in that passage of Scripture in 2 Samuel, the writer of 2 Samuel did not want to say, and then David, you know, as they were married, they had four children, the fourth child was Solomon. He wanted to go right to talk about Solomon because he wanted to, to tie it together with God's grace And to think about an undeserving couple, you would have thought David and Bathsheba for how all that got started. What an unworthy, undeserving couple. But yet, God in his grace chose them and said, this is where the lineage from David will come. And it is where my son Jesus Christ will descend from, from this union. And so it is a beautiful picture of grace and uh, and how every one of us, is undeserving of God's grace uh, in our own lives. So they talk about that Solomon's born, and then you move into 1 Kings, and it's the last days of David. And as David's on, kind of on his last days, and he's feeble, and uh, it says, <laughs> says he's feeble, he's about 70, all right? 70 looks a whole lot better uh, uh, today than, uh, than there. So, so he was a feeble man, but boy, he had some hard times, okay? Uh, he'd been rode hard, put up wet, and uh, he had a lot, of, a lot of battles and then emotional stuff, things happening in his family. So that's why he's feeble at 70. But it's very interesting here is that in the illness he had, he couldn't get warm. Some of you are so cold nature, you know that same thing. You, you can't, get, can't get warm. And so um, usually today when a person can't get warm, they go online and order a Snuggie blanket. And, and, but what they did back then was they went and looked for a beautiful woman. 
And uh, they searched around to find the most beautiful woman in the area, and they brought her in, and, uh, and her name is Abishag. And she would attend to him, and she would lay with him to keep him warm. Now, nothing physical went on in there. It's just her job was to keep him warm. Now, she did a little bit more than that. She was kind of like the nurse that attended to them, but Snuggy Blanket was part of her responsibility on that, and that's what, and that's what she did. Now, uh, if I could just step away and just say just a word for our senior adult men. Um, if, you, <laughs> if you began to feel a little bit under the weather, I don't think I'd suggest this to my wife to say, hey, let's get that young one uh, to come and keep me warm. Okay, just thought I'd let you know. So, that's why I'm your pastor. I'm here to help you travel through life. So, David, he's going through some feeble times. He's hurt. He's feeling, he's feeling bad. Well, in the midst of him feeling bad and people thinking that he may get ready to die, the question is, who's going to be the next king? Well, in David's mind, he already knows because God has told him. It's found as a passage found in 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 22, verses 9 through 10. And look what he says. He says, behold, the son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. That means there won't be uh, wars going around him. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days, and he shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. This was told to David earlier, so he knew it, that it was going to be Solomon. And apparently there were some folks that, that knew that, and that he was being groomed for that. However... He has 19 sons, three had already died. The next oldest was one that was ready to kind of step up and think that he should be king. And so um, uh, you pick him up, uh, Adonijah, in verse 5, and he wants to take things into his own hands. He says, I'm the oldest. Seems like I should be king. It says in here, I'm a nice-looking guy. I've got leadership ability. Let's get this thing going. Let's get this thing going. And so look what he did. Now, Adonijah, in verse 5, he exalted himself, saying, I will be king. Now, it's interesting. In the language this is written in, the word I is emphatic. I. It's like thumping your chest. I will be king. And it's a continuous action, which means that this is something he's done for a lot of his life. This didn't just come to him. He's always had this thought. I could be the best king. I want to be king. I'm the guy that needs to be king. So guess what he does? Puts together his own coronation. And it says, he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. He goes out there, calls up folks and says, get the chariots, get the runners. Begin to go ahead of me and proclaim that uh, here comes uh, Adonijah, okay? And so then it says, his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. That's a whole different, we won't go that route, but it's a parenting thing where his dad, David, never really disciplined him. They never really told him you couldn't do this or do that. Some people believe that David was already grooming Solomon to be the king, so he was putting all of his uh, parenting efforts into Solomon, and he didn't really give uh, Adonijah very much, and so we'd never tell him no. So Adonijah, he thinks he wants to be king. Nobody ever tells me no. Let's go do it. I don't see any reason why we can't just run with this. So that's what he's going to do. Verse 7, he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruah, and with uh, Abishar, the priest, 
And they followed Adonijah and they helped him. What did he do? He got the military and he got the religious arm. Joab was a commander of the military. Uh, Abiathar, he was one of the priests. Now, both these guys had been loyal to David throughout, but both these guys were falling out of favor with David. And so to get back into the influence, they wanted to get on the Abinadja for King train and say, let's ride this thing because this could put us back in those places of influence. So he's putting it all together. But now, verse 8, but Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shemaiah and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Now there's a group of people that aren't with him. Some of these guys don't, Zadok, who is he? He's like the number one priest, okay? He'd be like a head priest over there. He won with him. Benaiah, military-wise, he's over the mighty men. He's David's right-hand military guy. He's not with him either. Uh, And then the mighty men, you know, those are the guys that there's like the Green Berets with them. They're not with this guy either. So let's get the coronation started. We got some folks that are for him. Got some folks that are not. Adonijah's taking everything in his own hands. And look what he says. Adonijah, he sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon, his brother. So, putting on this big coronation. He starts it out, let's sacrifice some animals. Let's just look religious, okay? So he sacrifices some animals, looks a little religious. Let's throw on a big party and let's proclaim that I am going to be the king. Send out all the invitation. And listen, I have got, uh, let's see, there's 19 brothers, three have passed away. That means there's 16 left. I'm one, that means there's 15. Send out 14 invitations to all of my brothers except for one, Solomon. Don't invite him. Don't invite him, don't invite Nathan, don't invite Benaiah. Now, why is that? It's because he knew that Solomon was the one that was being groomed for. He said, well, Danny, couldn't anybody be king? You know, when God first allowed them to have a king, he told them, I, the Lord, will choose your king. He chose Saul, he chose David, and he made it very clear that he had chosen Solomon. But from Adonijah, that didn't matter. It's not so much what God wants, it's what I want. Now, I want to be the king. And I'm going to take these things in my own hands, and I'm going to go and get coronated, and I'm going to sit on the throne, and I'm going to wear the crown. So, he put it all together. Got a big party. Everybody's invited, all the popular people. He did the little power things where he got the religious folks and he got the military folks. And so he's pulling all the, the, all the uh, political strings that he needs to do. And at the same time, as he's doing all of this, he gives this impression that he's just a religious guy because he's sacrificing all of these animals. And so everything is for him so that he can be the king. And he set apart the other folks that he knew wouldn't be for him. Now, this is happening. David, health is failing. Adonijah, the oldest son, handsome, leadership abilities, could work a crowd and could say, who should be the next king? What does it use? It's usually the one that's the oldest. I am the oldest son. 
<laughs> and I'm good looking, and I got some ability. And I got Joab over here. I got Abby Athor over here. I mean, I've got all the team. I think we're ready to go. What do you think? And, and people are getting jacked up. And they said, yeah, yeah. And so they went right outside Jerusalem, this place in Rogel's, just a little bit south of Jerusalem. And now they're getting all pumped up. Well, meanwhile, Nathan hears all this going on. And he gets with Bathsheba, and he says, Bathsheba, we got a problem here. He said, Adonijah's not supposed to be the king. Solomon's supposed to be the king. That's who God says is supposed to be the king. And if I can just mention one more thing, you realize that when kings get in, their first thing they do, they kill all their rivals. And so if Adonijah becomes king, you, Solomon, myself, others will probably be taken out. But we need to find out how can God's man get on the throne that's supposed to be on there? So they, they come up with this plan. And they said, we need to go in and talk to the king. And we need to do it, both of us, at different times. So you go first, okay? Send the pretty one in first. So, so you go in Bathsheba first. And you talk to him and tell him the story that's going on. And then right as you're finishing up your story, I'll come in and I will affirm it also. And we'll see if David will take some action. So they worked the plan. So let's get it after it. Here we go. Verse 15. So it says, so Bathsheba went to the king, and she went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was attending, now the king was very old, and the uh, snuggy uh, blanket was with him, uh, was attending to the king. So Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king. Don't you know that chapter? I'm just telling you. I don't know if any other women, if that would bother you or not, but. I think it would, okay. Uh, Bathsheba bowed, she paid homage to the king, and the king said, what do you desire? And she said to him, my Lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Yeah, that's exactly right. She's not making this up. Yeah, he, he did say that. And he says, and now behold, Adonijah is king. Although you, my Lord, the king, don't even know this. He sacrificed the oxen, fattened calves, sheep in abundance. He's invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army, but Solomon your servant, he has not invited. Now just the fact that she said Abiathar and Joab sent a little bit of a chill down David because they're not in the best of uh, in favor right now. So I kind of upset him a little bit right there. And then his son, Solomon's not invited to that. Hmm. And he says, and now, my Lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my Lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, it will come to pass that when my Lord, the king, dies with his fathers, I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. That means we'll be killed. Everyone's waiting for you to say who's going to be the king. Well, she just gotten these words out of her mouth, and David is sitting there trying to take all this in. Who comes in? Nathan. And then while she was still speaking uh, with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. And they told the king, here is Nathan the prophet. <laughs> we like to always be known, Nathan the prophet. Uh, here is Nathan the prophet. And, and when he came in, before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, I love the way he phrases, my lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on the throne? It's great. Did, did you say that Adonijah is supposed to be the king? I mean, he's over there. They've got the big ceremony going on right now. Uh, did you say that that was supposed to, uh, supposed to be happening? He says, for he's gone down that day. He's already sacrificed oxen, cattle, sheep in abundance, and he's invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, uh, Abiathar, the priest, and behold, they're eating and drinking, and they're saying, long live King Adonijah. But, 
but me, your, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and uh, Benaiah, the, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, we didn't get any invitations. Has this thing been brought about in my Lord, the king, and you've not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my Lord, the king, after him? So, so he phrases it by saying, so did something change? I thought the plan was for Solomon. You know, ever since he was born, we kept saying it was Solomon. But if something changed, I just didn't get the email. I didn't get the message. Did something get lost in translation? I'm just sort of asking. So now here's David. And uh, he's kind of getting bombarded by both of these. And all of a sudden, you know, he, he begins to sort of sit up over here. And uh, he's taking all of this in and knows that he's got to do something. So what he does is he calls Bathsheba to come back in. And he tells her, as the Lord had already promised, your son Solomon will be on the, on the throne. He will be on the throne. Okay? And then this guy who was feeble, this guy who couldn't get warm, all of a sudden hits his rocky moment. Music is playing, and all of a sudden, he's kind of bowing up like old, old David. I mean, he's getting it back together. This is like the one next stand for him, and it's like, okay, okay, we're going to deal with this, and we're going to deal with this right now. Whoa, watch what he says. Verse, 20, verse uh, 22, uh, then King David um, with Sarah, I guess that's 32. King David said, call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And he says, give me those three. Bring it in my top three. I need Zadok the priest, all right? And I need Nathan the prophet. And I need Benaiah, the head of my army. Bring those guys in there. Now, just as an aside on here, every time you read, whenever he says, give me Benaiah, he says, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. What's up with that? Why would he always say, hey, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, on there? They always say it. It'd be like me saying, okay, we're gonna get our executive staff together. And so what we wanna do is I say, hey, I need to meet with you. Chad, Tom, Lisa, Michael, son of Howard, uh, come and let's meet. And every time I talk to Michael Ladler, it'd be, hey, Michael, son of Howard, come over here and be with me. I don't know why. Okay, just for you. If you do know, just send me a, an email to say, why do they always call him? Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, over here. He says, bring the three in there. Man, he gets his three in there, and he is bowing up. And he says, guys, we're getting ready to nip this thing in the bud. It's time to put Solomon the king, uh, and we're going to do it today. Here's the organization. This is what I want you to do. So when they came in, Verse 33, he says, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon, riding the mule. That did it right there. I mean, you talk about a slam dunk, it's when they ride the mule. Because you see, when they ride the mule, that means that there is royalty on there. You ride the king's mule, it means you're the next king on there. It'd be like the Queen of England riding in the royal carriage. It's like Air Force One that as soon as it takes off, you say, hey, the president's on board there. Whenever you see them, someone riding the mule there, when they see Solomon there, they're saying, next king. 
And he's going to Gihon, which is just outside the gates of Jerusalem, just outside sort of on the east part of Jerusalem. And he said, I want you to go over to Gihon. And then when you get there, this is what I want you to do. I want Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, to anoint him king over Israel. That's the way we've done it in the past. We're going to do it again. Blow the trumpet and say, long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him. He shall come, sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I've appointed him to be the ruler over Israel and over Judah. And he said, that's what you do. You get him there. You do an anointing ceremony. You give him a parade to come back in the city. Everybody will blow the horns. They'll cheer. Take him right up to the palace. Put him on the throne. Put the crown on his head, and he will be king. And we're doing it today. So they did that. And they went down, and they did all of those things. But before they did, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, made a response. And he says this. Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the King say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. Now, see, some of you, we get our egos all wrapped up in here and we say, well, that's not a very nice thing to say, is it? This guy's getting ready to die. And you say, hey, won't Solomon, won't Solomon be even greater than you? Well, no, that's the great, best thing he could say. Because David knew that God had promised him this dynasty. He had promised him that through there would come the lineage of his son. And so you couldn't say anything better to him than, David, you've taken it to this level. Man, I'm praying that Solomon takes it to the next level. That's the way a succession plan should work, right? And then take it and just keep on going better and better. And uh, in Benada, he was fired up. He said, this is exactly what we need to do. Let's get after it. Guess what? They did that. And when they did it, they did everything just like he said. But when they did it, look what it says in verse 40. It says, and all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. The earth was split by their noise. It means it was so loud, it was almost like the earth was splitting. It was quite a celebration. And they were saying, long live King Solomon. He is our new king. He's the guy that's going to take us forward from here. Wow. Man, if it was a movie, you would be focused in on the celebration with Solomon. And then all of a sudden, the camera switches and you go back to uh, Adonijah. And so Adonijah, it's Adonijah and to his party. Now, what is interesting when you look these things up geographically in Rogel, where he is, is 500 yards from Gihon. Put it in your mind. Adonijah has a huge celebration down at the pavilion, okay? So they're down on the pavilion, right down there by our ball fields, and they're having a great party. He's getting the coronation as the king. Solomon went to the north parking lot, just a little bit across the street, that north lot up there, and that's probably about 500 yards. They're having a huge celebration for Solomon. To use a word that's not in the dictionary, it's huger, okay? It's bigger, it's louder than anything that he had here. And they are wrapping up their party and they hear this huge roar of the people up here. And so they began to ask. And Adonijah said, what's what's all all that noise? Well, Abiathar's son, Jonathan, well-respected. He comes up, he says, I know the answer. Man, Adonijah's thrilled. He says, you're a wise man. You always give me good news. Have you got me good news? 
He goes, mm, not really. <laughs> I don't think this is good news. And look at what he tells him, okay? Now, as you're reading this, I want you to hear it from Adonijah, and then I want you at the end of it tell me what expression do you have on your face, okay? Right now, you're happy. Long live Adonijah, okay? He said, nah, uh, for our Lord King David has made Solomon king. Ooh, that's not good. And the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. There we are again, the son of Jehoiada. All right, the son of Jehoiada. He got the, the, the Cherethites, and he's also got the Pelethites. These are like some mean men. These are some fighters. All right, just want to let you know. Uh, and they had him ride on the king's mule. The mule, I didn't even think about the mule. Yeah, had him ride on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king. Oh, the anointing part. At Jehan, and they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Everybody's happy that Solomon's king. Oh, that's not good. And Solomon sits on the royal throne. You're down here at the pavilion. He's sitting on the throne. He's got a crown on his head. And then he takes it even further. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, may your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than your throne. They said, whoa, how'd David respond to that? And David bowed himself on the bed, and the king said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. Adonijah just went from the thrill of victory to what? The agony of defeat. Oh, man. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a blow to the gut. And now all of a sudden, he's out. I mean, this morning he was getting his head sized for a crown. Now he's thinking he may lose his head. So uh, things have drained for him. Well, all the people that are sitting around at his... Uh, victory party, uh, they're kind of backing off because when a king gets in, what does he do first? He takes out his what? His rivals. So now they're taking their buttons off, uh, Adonijah for king. They're taking off the t-shirts that had vote for Adonijah, and they're beating it to their home to take out their yard signs that said Adonijah for king, taking off the bumper stickers of their chariots and their carts because they got to clear it out to where there's nobody that thinks that we were for this king. Hey, we're Solomon. We've been Solomon all, all along. Well, he's nervous for his own life, so he runs over the tabernacle. He grabs on to the, uh, to the altar, to the horns of the altar, and they give word back to Solomon and said, hey, Adonijah, he's locked himself up and over there. He's scared you're going to kill him. And he said, no, that's okay. Tell him, uh, tell him come on in. And, uh, and he, he tells him. Uh, he says, if he'll show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. King Solomon sent. They brought him down from the altar. He came. He paid homage to King Solomon. Solomon said to him, go to your house. You're fine. Now, if there's any wickedness in you, you'll die. But if not, you'll be okay. So, so what happened to him? Next week, we'll find out, all right? But for this week, for this week, let me just drill this down for just a moment. When we look at Adonijah, and the title of this message is, who is your king? Who's your king? 
here's a statement that I want you to write down. And that is, rather than seek God's kingdom, we expect him to advance ours. This is kind of the way Adonijah thinks, is rather than seek God's kingdom, we expect him to advance ours. You know, the Bible in the New Testament, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. However, what we have a tendency to do is not to seek his kingdom first, but what we really want him to do is to advance our kingdom. You see, this is what Adonijah did. He never submitted to the authority of the prophet, the priest, or the king. These were the three people that God had established in Israel, and he never submitted to their authority. He made his own decision to be the king, and it was what? For his glory, for his pleasure, without ever submitting to the rule of God. He did not seek advice from the three people he should have sought advice from. And these were people that were placed in authority. He didn't even ask advice of Nathan the prophet. He didn't go to Zadok the priest. And he didn't go to to David as the king. He didn't ask their advice. You know why he didn't ask their advice, don't you? Because what would they have told him? No. And he didn't want to hear no. And for us, when we're thinking about do we seek God's kingdom or do we want God to advance our own, usually we put in our minds where we want our lives to go, what our trajectory is, the things that selfishly we want for our pleasure, our glory. And we don't want to come and ask people in spiritual authority about it because we're scared that they may say no, so it's a lot easier for us to surround yes people around us, put our own posse, our own entourage together. And then we get this, get, put this religious veneer of doing these sacrifices just like he did. And this whole time, people are thinking we're being all so religious when we are actively and purposefully disobeying God because that is what he was doing. But yet he kept wanting God to be able to uh, approve my plans. I want you to, to advance my plans rather than seeking God's kingdom first. You know, I thought a lot about him. I think about any time a character in Scripture. And I just think about Adonijah, that um, he had to have leadership ability the way that he brought all this uh, group of people together. And uh, and a nice-looking person. And I'm just saying, a lot of times during those days, they would choose someone because they were either nice-looking or so. So from their standards, he had it all. But he just had a heart problem. And he really wasn't going to submit to anyone else. He wasn't going to submit to God's rule. He wasn't going to submit to God's kingdom. It was, I just want to do what I want to do. Man, I just asked for us, where do we live on that? Would this be describing some of our own lives? That we're just, it's our agenda? It's what I want to do? And God, I really want you to bless that? And you know what happens? God doesn't bless it. And when God doesn't bless it, we get angry at God and we get angry at the world. And sometimes when we feel that anger, it causes us, we should cause us to step back and say, who is on the throne of my life? Is it me or is it the Lord? Rather than seek God's kingdom, at times we expect him to advance ours. There was spiritual authority that it should have gone to. Let me give you great news. Jesus is the true prophet faithful priest and eternal king. He is the true prophet, faithful priest and eternal king. That is that when we want anything that we, uh, decisions we need to make in life, anything about our direction of life, how we want to live our life, we need to go to the prophet, priest, and king. 
And Jesus Christ is all of those. He is the true prophet. He is the one whose words are trustworthy. He is the one who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He has given us an avenue of how to have a relationship with God. Everything that he has said, everything you see in this Bible is trustworthy. He is the true prophet, but he is the faithful priest. You know, the word priest actually means a bridge builder. And a priest builds a bridge between God and man. And Jesus is that faithful priest. He is the one who had no sin, that went to the cross to die for our sins, the sins that we couldn't pay for, that were separating us from a holy God. And he died on the cross for our sins, and he paid that penalty. And in three days later, God raised him from the dead, and when he did, he conquered sin, he conquered death. And when we put our faith in him, then he intercedes to us with the God the Father. And this holy God looks at me as a sinful man, but yet Jesus is standing there between them, and Jesus is saying, hey, I can intercede for him. I died for him. My blood paid for his sins. He's accepted that gift. He's adopted into the family. He's a child of God. He's one of us. And God says, I'll forgive you your sins, and he extends grace and, and mercy to me. You see, he is that faithful priest, but then he is the eternal king. He's the eternal king. Revelation 17, 14 says that he will be Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He sits over and above every other ruler that is ruling today and has ever ruled in the history of the world. And one day the Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is the eternal king. So if he's the true prophet, he's a faithful priest, he is the eternal king, then when I'm trying to determine where I want to go in life, who is to be the, on the throne of my life, I would go to that Jesus and say, I'm coming to you for guidance and for direction to give you my life. And that's the third point. The third point today is that make Jesus king of your life today. And I emphasize today, we hear these and we hear sermons like this. And then we walk out and we say, well, maybe next week, maybe next week, maybe next week. No, today's your day. Today's the day. And that is that you enthrone him. You say, I want you to be the master, the Lord, the boss, the director of my life. And, um, and, you know, you've got two options. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So if you're ready for him to be Lord of all, then you place him on the throne and you say, let's start going. Or you'll say, Lord, not at all. And I will sit on the throne and I'll call you every so often to see if you can advance my agenda. Nah. Seek his kingdom. And last of all is this, and that's live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In chapter two, David, last words to Solomon. First few words talk about spiritual. The rest of them talks about something we'll talk about next week. But look what he says. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth so this is what you're to do. Be strong, show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. He's had statutes, commandments, rules, all this stuff. He put all the words together 
that are listed in God's word. And he says, live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Live out of every word that comes out of the mouth. God's word teaches us how to think, how to speak, how to live. It tells us what to love, what to avoid. It shows us how to glorify God forever. This is why we invest our time in God's word. We read it and we live it out. And he says, if you follow these biblical principles, you will prosper. That is not health and wealth gospel. Doesn't mean you won't suffer. Yes, we're not immune to suffering. We're not immune to disappointments. But what it does mean is that obedience has God's blessing. We experience blessing in our relationships as the word of God teaches us how to love. We experience the blessing in our homes as the word of God teaches us how to lead a family. We experience the blessing in our daily calling as the word of God teaches us how to work hard and to pursue excellence. Obeying God's word will keep us close to the Holy Spirit, bring more people to Christ, and will show us more of the glory of God. Live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Who's your king? It's either going to be you or it's going to be Jesus Christ. It's my prayer that each one of us just takes an introspection, kind of opens up our life and take a look at the throne room and say, okay, who's occupying it? It's my prayer that today we'll make sure that our Lord is occupying it and then go from there and see all that he's got planned for us, okay? Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this word uh, about your servant, and that we learn from those who've gone before us. We learn from their mistakes. We also learn from the positive things that they have done. And so I pray that today that we'll be convicted by your word and that uh, we will truly exalt you as the king and Lord of our lives and place you on that throne of our lives and to serve you with every breath that we take. For it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen.